Welcome to Mates in Courage, brought to you by Good News Unlimited. Be part of a conversation between Graham Hood, champion fisherman, airline pilot and school dropout, and Ali Gonzalez, wannabe fisherman and holder of more useless degrees than you can poke a stick at. What could these two possibly have in common? The fact that neither of them have anything to hide. That's what. Mates in Courage. Take a listen. G'day, Ellie. How are you doing, Graham? It's good. We haven't seen each other for a while. No, the, the government hasn't let us. No, that's right. Border control in Australia. Who would have ever thunk it? You're in New South Wales. Yep. And uh, I'm in Queensland. We're just close to the border, both of us. We can see the border from here, actually. That's the border ranges out the window there. It's a very pretty border. Yeah, it is. It's very windy today, too. But I'm glad you made the journey across the border. And I'm glad you've got your passport and your visa to go home again. Yeah, that's right. And I hope that you're treated well at the border checkpoint. Well, I hope so too. How have you been feeling through all of this stuff, this COVID-19 thing? Look, it hasn't been that bad because I'm basically an introvert. I okay. think introverts have loved the pandemic, Yeah. right, at some level. Yeah. I've been missing uh, going out. Yeah. You know, not so much to restaurants and things like that, but... Socialising. Yeah, just seeing people. and So you're an introvert who loves socialising? I am. I'm a very strange introvert. <laughs> and also, also getting out into nature, like going fishing with you. I'm always yeah. missing that. Well, the pandemic hasn't stopped that because it never really started. No, anyway. I think that's a cop-out. I think that this, this thing where we talk about how I never go fishing with you and you keep saying that we will, I think that's part of the plot of this podcast it's like, you know, the, the thing that never gets resolved because I never get to go fishing. So you, are you thinking that there might be, uh, there might be truck drivers uh, driving the interstate, hoping one day to listen to a podcast where you and I actually talk about we did actually go fishing? Yeah, I think the day that we actually go fishing, this, this podcast will self-destruct. <laughs> well, we better not go fishing then. <laughs> so what about you? You're in an interesting situation, Graeme, in the middle of this pandemic, being a, a pilot. Yeah, it's... Um it's been rather strange. It's been confronting in lots of ways, but it's also been a, a beautiful way to get my head around some things about the future and uh, thinking about decisions I've made in the past. And I feel pretty well poised at the moment because, you know, we're sitting here at uh, Grace Glen Farm and uh, Michelle and I have been pretty much in blissful self-isolation here for uh, since the middle of February. And it wasn't long before that, only a few weeks before the isolation started, we, we were isolated by bushfires. So uh, for me, it's it's been a beautiful time where we've been together and we've been doing a lot of things around here and becoming more and more uh, self-sufficient, in, in other words, growing everything that we need and getting the place prepared to produce a bit more food and all that kind of stuff. Not in the doomsday prep kind of way, but, you know, preparing to live frugally because we don't know what the, what the future holds. And um, that thinking's been brought about by the fact that uh, about mid-February, I flew what could have been my last flight when we were told the airline was shutting down. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget it because when it was a, a flight from Sydney to Brisbane and I just felt a real sense that this could be the last time I ever fly and I've been doing this for 50 years. Mm. I felt impressed to thank the passengers for their loyalty and, and to talk a little bit about my career because I realised that I've been flying for half as long as Qantas has been exist in existence, so it's 100 years old this year. 
and I've been flying for 50 years and um, I reflected on that to my passengers and how blessed I felt to have been doing that and what a great thing it was to serve them and uh, I told them to stick with us and we'll be back one day and um, I just yeah hope to see them again. And then well, that's unusual because when I've flown Qantas, the pilots I've flown with are always mute. Are they? They've got nothing to say except the standard yeah. you know we are now descending yeah well, I'm, a, I'm a bit naughty sometimes i try to engage the passengers a little bit more than that sometimes in ways that the company would probably frown on occasionally but yeah i like to relate to people back to what you were saying um yeah so uh we descended into brisbane it was the last flight for the airplane so when we pulled up at the terminal about 10 o'clock that night we were going to shut it down and turn the battery off and uh and leave it in darkness for the first flight the next day and um i thank my crew for they put on a really brave face because that day we were told that most of us were going to be stood down and uh, there's a lot of uncertainty and you could feel the uncertainty in everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, normally I like to get off the plane pretty quickly and because I've got a long drive to come home. And uh, that night I just felt like I just wanted to sit there for a while and um, I said goodnight to all my crew. They all left and I was a solitary person remaining on the on the aeroplane and I was just about to hit the kill switch to turn all the batteries off and... Uh, as I got up to leave, I, I had this real strong feeling that I should turn around and look in the cockpit one more time. Mm-hmm. And I stood in the doorway and I looked and a tear came to my eye and then I hit the kill switch and I thought, have I just hit the kill switch on my career mm. after 50 years? And it was, um, I'm looking forward to not having to fly again because mm-hmm. it's been hard on my body. But there was some nostalgia there and I, I thought, well, I'm in for an interesting ride. And uh, I drove home to Michelle and I said, uh, you know what, I think that may possibly have been my last flight. Mm. So it's been interesting. So what have you been doing, apart from working on the farm, uh, during the weeks that you haven't been flying? Well, for a start, we've, I think we've all gone through a period of introspection and, and reflecting on where our life has been and where we'd like to see it go. Um, the world's changing at a rapid rate and there's a lot of uncertainty out there. And, and for me, the one thing it's done is it's highlighted... Uh, my need for some kind of certainty and uh, that's brought me closer to God because for me it's like he is the only thing that any one of us can truly rely on. Obviously I I agree with you but I think for a lot of people what they've got out of um, the pandemic and the isolation time has been they've improved their baking skills. Yeah well I don't do the baking around here. Michelle does that, and uh, I'm I'm trying not to experiment with that because I'm trying to lose a bit of weight as well. Yeah, look, we're we're all looking at different things. For me, it's it's really ramped up some of the things that we do. Uh, you know, we're doing a lot more reaching out to people, and mm-hmm. actually, what we've noticed is a lot more people reaching out to us. And I think the fear and the uncertainty is driving a need to to seek hope wherever it can be found. Yeah, uh, yeah, because. Um uh, just recently when I've tried to make appointments uh, to come and visit you here on the farm to do these podcasts, mm. uh, you've always been busy with people. Yeah, we've had, we've had a massive influx of, uh, of calls for help and in relationship issues. And, that's, uh, that's since the government has allowed us to actually see people face to face. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So we have limited gatherings here, but we only ever deal with one or two people at a time anyway. I mean, I've heard that during this pandemic time, there's been a, a big upsurge in, in things like domestic violence mm. as well. So I think uh, for a lot of people, having to see someone every day and actually live with them 
rather than just uh, crawl into bed and crawl out of bed and go to work, has made them face some of the underlying issues in their relationships as well and uh, within themselves. Yeah, and for some people that's been a really good thing. The fact that they are together now means the heat's been put on their relationship and they either have to do something to resolve it and put those issues right and start their relationship again or do something more destructive, which leads to, of course, the domestic violence you talk about. Mm-hmm. I think the situation is that most people, our lives have been geared up on this merry-go-round that we're on, this treadmill, where we're all striving to support a fairly large debt, we're all time poor, and everything's got to function like a Swiss watch in order for our lives to stay on the rails. And the minute there's a hiccup, the movement faults and uh, the clock stops ticking, all of a sudden we have to confront how vulnerable we really are. And I think that that's affected a lot of people that I'm talking to. And mm-hmm. they're, um, they're realising that perhaps they've had all their priorities skewed the wrong way for most of their lives and now they have mm-hmm. to rethink. Like the way we live here, for example, we, we made a choice several years ago to get away from the city because it was just getting too toxic. You know, the, the fact that people, were, um, that people were feeling what I just talked about, being time poor, it meant a lot of people were struggling with road rage. I was one of those. I was always... <laughs> really busy and trying to get home and get the work done and get home and well I hope that never happened uh, in the cockpit Graeme no no that's all it's all very controlled up there oh. yeah there's no rage in the cockpit no not allowed not allowed not permitted no it doesn't work actually that's made me think now maybe I should apply those principles when I'm in the cockpit of my car <laughs> yeah <laughs> there you go you know people talk about tradies and how aggressive they are on the road with ladders you know loosely tied down and all that sort of stuff but Uh, You know, I feel for guys who've got their own little business like that because they're really struggling to make ends meet. They've got to compete to the lowest common denominator and they've never got time. They've always got people pressuring them to get everything done. So when they get on the road, that time they spend behind the wheel of their vehicle is just wasted time for them and they hate to, they just want to get it over and done with. And then I often wonder what it's like when they go home and, um, and I know what it's like. You know, you come home and you're exhausted and you start to wonder what's really important in life. Well, I think uh, for me, the the pandemic has been quite good and I don't want to dismiss, you know, the financial troubles and the people have had and, and those who have lost loved ones, uh, etc. Uh, at all. But for me, I haven't improved my baking skills, actually. I haven't been cooking that much. But it's given me an opportunity to, like you, reflect on my life and actually consolidate a lot of the gains uh, that I've made in recent years, I think, in understanding myself, uh, who I am and, and uh, my relationships and who I aspire to be. So I'm in an even better place now that uh, this pandemic is easing off a little bit, uh, although it's not over, than I was before. Because, uh, you know, when life is not so busy, if you can take the chance to actually slow your mind down and look at yourself and look at your life... Uh, and do a little bit of, uh, you know, a bit of analysis and come to some conclusions, uh, then that's a very helpful thing. Isn't it a shame that it takes a pandemic or a global catastrophe to bring us to that point? Yeah. It's like when somebody's diagnosed, you know, with cancer and you've got six months to live, their whole life takes on a new focus. It's Suddenly they become nice people. Yeah. And they, they start thinking, hang on, relationships are more important than I thought. You know, I've seen that, I've talked about this in previous episodes, I think, I've seen that in old-aged homes and uh, and villages where, you know, when I was visiting my dad, the number of men who are there all of a sudden, 
like before they knew it, they're in a an old man's home mm-hmm. and they're they're contemplating all the things that they didn't do, all the things that they didn't do well, and um, and they're looking to validate their lives before it's over, and they realise that they just don't have enough time, and there's a sadness in them which is really, it's um, it's a bit late then. It's a bit late, you know. So we need. We need to be validating ourselves all the way through the process of life, not just at the at the very end. And I, you know, I say to a lot to men that we need our dads to validate us when we're uh, transitioning from being a boy to being a man. Mm-hmm. To say, you know, I, I've given you everything I've got. I think you've you've got what it takes to be a good man. And they need us at the very end of their lives to tell them that they have been good men. Mm. So there's a circle there, and I, and. Well, for a start, my my eldest daughter is talking to me a lot about faith at the moment, which mm-hmm. is great. Uh, th- this pandemic has put her in a position where she's wondering about the future for her kids mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. And and the other thing is, I think the speed at which this has brought about the shutdown of the planet has taken everybody by surprise. Yeah. You know, I, I remember growing up during the Cold War thinking there was going to be a nuclear holocaust that was going to bring it all to a final conclusion. I think it's it's made everyone realise how fragile uh, life as we know it is. Yeah. So if we know that life's fragile, what do we need to do from here on in? Hmm. What, like when you had your period of introspection and you looked at life, what conclusions have you come to? I've concluded that I'm important and I've concluded that I have a contribution to make still to my family. Mm. I've also concluded that, you know, there's, there's more that I can work on myself. Yeah. I've realised even more that I need to focus my identity on who Jesus Christ says I am and not who Ellie tells me that I am. Yeah. You know, and so I've become even more grounded in, in that. They're, they're the sort of conclusions that I've come to about myself. Yeah. So they've been good positive affirmations. Yeah. For me, I've realised just how little control I have over anything. Well, that's true. I think we need to talk about fear-based control and everything in another episode all on its own, but I realise that I have no control, and then I've realised that the amount of energy that I've spent during my life in the, in the seeking of control without realising that there's no way I was ever going to have control. I mean, we can have self-control. We can make... We need to make decisions not to do stupid things. And um, like, let's talk about finances, for example. I know I know men who've got, you know, they're talking vast sums of money in retirement wealth waiting to be used when they eventually find the energy to give up working and use it. And uh, they're now living in fear that they're going to lose it. Hmm. You know, they've probably been going through life thinking... You know, I'm in control of my retirement and so I'm going to do this and they've spent all the present working on the future at the cost of the mm. present. They've lost the sense mm. of the present, being in the present. This has really stood out for me as I've been watching the news from different countries about how they've responded to the coronavirus. Yeah. But I think it's true at an individual level as well is, is the question, what do you value? Yeah. What is really important uh, for you in your life? Yeah. And so nations have been making that decision. Yeah. You know, at what stage do we remove the lockdown or start to remove it? You know, do we lock down to what extent? And, and that ends up, and this is simplistic, I know, but it, when it boils down to it, it's, it's what value do you put on human life yeah. versus economy uh, versus one kind of, I guess, uh, harm 
which is a pandemic, versus mm. the harm that shutting down the economy can cause. And sometimes you measure that in raw lives. Yeah. How many people need to die before we do this? And so nations have been doing that, but I think it's, uh, that's an, an important question that we as individuals need to answer. Mm. What are the most important things in our lives? What are we choosing to dedicate our energy, our resources towards? Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I also think that nations have to redefine what they divert their energy and resources to because um, I'm really miffed that um, a virus like COVID can cause nations to spend... I mean, they're talking in Australia, a financial commentator said yesterday that the, the end result will be a trillion-dollar debt for Australia, which is a relatively small economy when you compare it to the rest of the world. Mm. Now, that's over a, over a small virus that has potential to do great harm. And so as a result of protecting the citizenry and protecting the economy, the governments have brought in massive changes to les- legislation. They've spent billions of dollars on fighting this. And yet in this country alone, how many people die because of cigarette smoking? You know, it's vastly more people. Or alcohol. Or alcohol. Directly or indirectly. And the government is loath to ban smoking. Oh, sure. And they're loath to ban drinking. That never happen. But a little bug comes up somewhere and all of a sudden they're bringing in uh, what in normal circumstances would be draconian legislation to lock people down and lock people in. And a lot of people are saying, well, hang on, we've, we've still got human rights. No, you don't. You don't have any human rights. This is about protecting people and protecting lives. Well, I wish they would spend that kind of money on suicide prevention. I wish they would spend that kind of money and have that kind of fervour on banning smoking and alcohol mm. that are causing great great harm in our in our country. Well, I, see, I, I don't think necessarily that governments... Well, no, I know governments, like people, don't get it right. Yeah. You know, the, the priorities in their, in their lives necessarily. Mm. And while you can justify you know, what the government's doing with the pandemic, when you compare it to other things, like you're saying, smoking, for example, but there's lots of other, you know, suicide prevention you've mentioned, then you start to see the how the relativities, how much they spend on that, and it's a pittance. It is. Right? And, it and is. you look at the harm caused to society, to relationships, you know, the cost to the medical system, uh, yeah. and all those sort of things, and even long-term, you can say, well, that's probably more harmful than COVID-19. Yeah, and, and, and I wonder about the, the logic in some things that are being mooted at the moment. For example, compulsory um, vaccination for COVID-19. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I think people have the right to make their own decisions. But they're talking about, you know, if, if you decide not to have the vaccination, then you'll be excluded from society, basically. Well, that's why they're making it compulsory. There's no point in having a non-compulsory vaccine. But to my way of thinking, if people who don't have it take the responsibility for their own health and well-being by not having it then the people who have got it aren't going to be affected anyway because if the vaccine is is at all effective it's going to prevent them from being infected by the people who haven't had the vaccine i think as the coronavirus is showing us even in australia let alone looking overseas if you look overseas it's probably worse individuals aren't as responsible as you you would hope they are that's the problem yeah the other thing too is that the communities at large around the world have struggled to find a testing regime that actually works properly Mm. 
and here we are racing headlong in, headlong into a vaccination process that um, you know normally normally a vaccination has to go through years and years of testing, and we're looking at introducing something in eighteen months. So it, let's let's just pray that they all get it right and uh, that we overcome this and prepare ourselves for the next one. Well, I'm just grateful I live in Australia and not yeah. Brazil, you or know? Spain, or Spain or Italy or the US, yeah. or in one of the you know poorer countries of the world where. The ramp up has been a lot slower, but it's starting to take off now. Yeah, I mean, I'm so grateful I, I live here. You don't always agree with the decisions that that the government makes, but I think overall they've done a, a pretty good job. They have, and that, you know they've acted decisively in lots of ways. And we can see in other parts of the world where, uh, like Brazil, mm. where the decision was made not to act decisively at all, not to act really. Mm. And the death toll there is just going through the roof. And so we're a long way from being in front of it. Uh, you're talking about other insidious things that destroy people mm. in our society, not maybe not physically always directly. Yeah. What are some other big viruses in, in our society, do you reckon? I think social media. Yeah. <laughs> I think social media is out of control. I mean, you look at the amount of misinformation, the fear that's oh, generated yeah. by social media. I'm with you there. I just refuse to lock down it. I mean, I know this is a form of social media. Yeah. But I refuse... But this, is, this is for good, social media. Yeah. This is, you know, digital media for good. Yeah, but I mean, I get... And you're probably the same. You get Facebook posts and messages oh, sent to you. Why is such a large proportion of my Facebook friends, why are they wackos? I mean, they're absolute conspiracy theory nutters. There's a topic for another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's driven by... Uh, what I'm seeing more and more is a distrust of government, a distrust of corporations, a distrust of um, yeah. of society in general. People are losing yeah. their faith in their fellow men. And I, I think society is being driven more and more by fear because distrust leads to fear. Yeah. And I think you can see that in governments around the world and, and in different societies. And I think, I think there are societies around the world that are breaking down. Yeah, there are. You know, because they're so polarised. Uh, because of the fear yeah. that there is. Well, we've only got to look at what's happening in the United States. There's so many issues over there at the moment. They've gone from mass shootings to economic collapse and then and then some kind of uh, build-up that looks like it's they've reached the peak and they're, they're about to launch into space again. And, and you wonder how with the big debt that they're holding. And then the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, police authority is being eroded, law and order is being eroded. I mean, it's all happening over there. It's a dichotomy of everything that's um, simmering under the surface on the planet. Mm. You know, we're seeing all this unrest everywhere and people are scared. Mm. And I think people also see that there's a finite, there is a finite end, if you like, to all of this. It cannot, we cannot keep going the way we've been going mm. and sustain the population that, and, and all those things. And the media, the media are driving this to the point of view of they're telling us every day what we should be scared about. Mm. When you think about the media, it is some editor sitting in an office at his computer making a decision of what you and I are going to be scared of mm. over the next 24 hours till mm. something better comes along. Mm. It's really it's destructive and it, it drives psychosis in the, in the community that gets played out in so many ways. Well, that's what I'm seeing. In Australia, we did pretty well with the uh, isolation you know, and following government guidelines yeah. because people were scared. Yeah, and uh, we've we've had really quite relatively few deaths as an as a nation. Yeah, and so now that the the government is uh, releasing the restrictions, 
now people are actually going a bit, you know, nuts. They're not observing any social distance and and they're uh, yeah. acting as if it's all gone. Yeah. And so it's this, you know, this seesaw. They were terribly afraid and now, and now oh, it's all gone. Yeah. And away they go. And, you know, when you live in that cycle of, of fear and then, you know, relief and then fear and relief, it's not a healthy way to be. No, it's not. It creates paranoia. It, mm. Because one day is fine and you, you've got all this hope and you think, oh, yeah, it's going to be great. And then there's a spike somewhere. And isn't that true of individuals too? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the same. It's, it's the same. Society is just a magnification and amplification of what human beings are like. Yeah. I mean, I've lived like that. I mean, uh, one day you have a, a glimmer of hope, you know, someone smiles at you, whatever whatever happens, and you think, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to work out. It's going to be yeah. all, all right. And then, and then the next day, you know, you hear a harsh word or whatever it is, and, and you're down in the dumps again. Yeah. And it's up and down, up and down. And it just destroys you. Yeah, it does. It does indeed. Yeah. So um, I think this has really put the magnifying glass on um, on our culture and a global perspective that we, uh, we're most definitely not alone, but maybe we need to be a bit more alone to have these times to think about what's important in our lives and where we go from here. Yeah. And for me, it is relationships. Relationships are really important. Mm-hmm. For me, it's um, it's being able to relax in a time of trouble because I have a hope for the future. Mm-hmm. I have a hope for an eternal future and however this plays out, I'm just going to live the very best way that I can. Mm-hmm. I'm going to uh, love and support as many people as I can possibly bring myself to do with the resources I have available and that's infinite as far as love is concerned. I mean, love is something we do for other people. It's not something we do for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think I can see the importance of actually loving people we don't like mm-hmm. uh, because that takes a lot of pressure off. Mm. I've realised a lot in in recent times that some of the people I don't like are behaving in ways that I don't like. It's not that I don't like or love them. And when I think about what causes their behaviour, that makes me realise that perhaps they're in a lot of pain that they haven't dealt with and I shouldn't be judging them because I'm in the same boat as they are. So that takes a lot of pressure off. So, you know, the things we're doing here to make everything as efficient as we can for for our living you know, growing fresh fruit and vegetables and um, making sure we've got plenty of water and, and setting up our infrastructure so that we can survive anything that Mate, comes Mate, where's the bunker? No, nah, not in the bunkers. Have you no bunker? No, I'm not a prepper. Oh, okay. There's a big difference, you know. Preppers will fill their bunkers with arms, firearms and everything. <laughs> the way I see it, there's no way I could ever level a rifle at somebody because I don't want them to take anything I've got. I reckon our strength lies in our vulnerability. If a horde of people come marching up the driveway wanting to take over this place, my approach would be, well, come on up. Well, I, I saw a medical professional uh, yesterday, in fact, who, who happens to be a Christian, is a friend, and he said, he said man, if, if someone broke into my house, I've had, I'd have no trouble taking out the shotgun and blowing their head off. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm so the that's completely end. different. You know, that's right. And I mean... To me, to me, it's like if if someone asks you for a loaf of bread, offer him two. That that's the way. I think that's the safest way forward. Mm. You know, and at the end of the day, if being if being generous and loving somebody and wanting to help to ease their pain by by surrendering to their demands uh, is a bad thing, then I'll go he. I mm. mean, I just I mm. just think the whole world's in a mess because we're all defending a whole lot of stuff that we don't really need yeah. anyway. Well, that's uh, that's challenging, Graham. Yeah. For me, I think what I've got from the pandemic and this chat, by the way, Graeme, 
is I really like what you were saying about social media. Yeah. You know, because that's a reflection of, of society, really. Yeah. And what I've got from it is I think we need to open ourselves up more to God. Yeah. And allow him to reach deep within ourselves so we can understand more about who we are yeah. in him yeah. and who he says we are. Yeah. And then and because of that, be able to live confidently out of that truth and not out of the fear-based, confusing messages that you hear from social media, uh, even mainstream media, even yeah. governments. Yeah. It's not that I necessarily distrust everyone, but it's that I trust God more. And I think that's the, for me, that's the basis of, of being able to live confidently, even in, in troubled times like, like this. Yeah, and I've found great consolation in trying to understand God more and actually having the time in this lockdown to be able to do that, to understand who he really is and to see uh, the beauty of the way he looks at us and the way he deals with us and, um, and the way he allows us to make choices and the learnings we get from that. Mm. I made a lot of bad choices in my life, uh, but they don't, they don't define me. They actually give me the experience to make better choices into the future. Mm. And I love that. It, I love that the God that that I see is so warm and so compassionate. He really knows me to my core, mm. and I want to live in that. And uh, so this this has been great for my spiritual journey. Well, Graham, maybe some good can come out of a pandemic too, hey? Well, thanks for the chat. Yeah, it was good talking to you, mate, and um, good luck going over the border. Yeah. Well, I didn't see any police there on the way up. Ah, uh, they might be hiding in camouflage, waiting to pounce on you. Uh, I've got my permit ready. <laughs> God bless, mate. See you, you soon. Mates in Courage, brought to you by Good News Unlimited. To sign up for Graham and Ellie's daily spiritual message emails about recovering from addictions, hurts and hang-ups, visit goodnewsunlimited.com. To book Graham and Ellie for talks, get in touch at the same website. And if you're troubled by anything you've heard, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or an equivalent service in your own country. Thanks for listening. Mates in Courage. Catch you in the next episode.